Morning, church. Y'all look good this morning, man. Y'all look good. Y'all looked at yourselves lately? You should, because y'all look good. The um, Christmas season is here, and yesterday I had the privilege, in quotes, to take my boys Christmas shopping at the one in Newport News. What's that mall up there? Patrick Henry. And so I had the boys... My oldest son is seven, the baby is three. So if you've ever been to the mall at Christmas with two little boys, it's an adventure. And so we're walking around the mall, and of course they wanted to get stuff for their sisters and brothers, but they had no money, you know, and so they want me to buy it. And so Caleb doesn't quite, he's three, he doesn't quite understand you can't just get stuff and walk out of a store with it. And so we went to one of those stores that had like the, it's a store that's made just for Christmas season. They have this full, like, jam-packed with, like, toys, nothing else. Toys R Us, I guess, used to be the place where we did this back in the day, but that's gone. And so now there's this other little, they pop these things up. And this place had everything in it, Marvel stuff and, like, card games and board games, all kinds of stuff. And Caleb went to just kind of grabbing stuff, right? And he's trying to walk out the door. And I'm like, no, baby, you can't do that. You can't just get what you want and leave. We got to pay for that. Are y'all with me? You can't just get what you want. There was one amen, Miss Lori, thank you. (laughs) You can't just get what you want and just walk out. A price has to be paid for what you want. We want a lot, don't we, friends? We want peace. But that doesn't come without a price. It has to be paid for. The best things in life must come not from us, something that you can pick up at a store on Christmas or stuff in a stocking, but it must come from God. In our text this morning, we're going to pick up the story in Jonah, and we're going to talk about a payment that was paid that satisfies all sin and shame and brings us the ultimate peace. If you could please stand with me, we're going to read in Jonah chapter 1, verse 7 through 16. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, we're in a, I have a series that I'm preaching through for Jonah. Pastor Ryan's kind of like thrown, sprinkled these throughout. And so if you haven't, I'll kind of catch up a little bit, but um, we're in Jonah chapter 1. Verses 7 through 16, and it reads as such. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, where you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning that the peace we seek is here. That you, Lord, through your sacrifice, have given us eternal victory. And Lord, as we come to gather and worship and as I preach, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that hearts would be open, Father God, that ears would be receptive, Father God, that your spirit would would reveal in us only that which you can. Search our hearts, Father God, and show us where we have erred and let us receive your word and find comfort in it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The title for today's message is Payment received. And if there is one thing, just one thing that I would like for you to walk away with, it's this thought that sin must be atoned for to satisfy God's wrath. Sin must be atoned for to satisfy God's wrath. Again, if you're new and you haven't been here the last few weeks, this is the second series or second in a series of sermons on Jonah. I think the last one was preached November the 12th or something like that. So you can go online and check it out. But we're continuing through this epic of Jonah. And a lot of folks have heard through Jonah or heard of Jonah. It's not something that um, you wouldn't be able to talk to folks who don't go to church about because it's such a popular story. It's kind of a folklore story. It's kind of a story in folklore, I guess. But there's this epic. And we're continuing through this scene. This is the exact same scene that we saw Jonah on before he was on the ship, there was a big storm, and here the sailors are trying to figure out what exactly is going on. So I'm going to pick it up here in verse 7 through 9 and share with you my first thought. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from and what is your country and what are your people? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. We see here that as they were trying to figure out what exactly is going on, what in the world is this storm upon us for, they figured out that they would just go and cast lots to see if they can come up with the plan. Casting lots was a common practice not only in the Hebrew world but in the ancient Near East. It was a way that people would determine outcomes. They sought, they kind of thought that the lots themselves had a divine inspiration in them. And so they would use stones or dice. Sometimes they were like two different stones with maybe like one was red and one was white. And they would cast them. And then if both became red, then they would know this is the direction that we should go in. If both were white, then maybe this isn't the direction that we should go on. And so they were really just trying to figure it out. They were 
I guess, stretching a little bit, but they did feel that this had a divine inspiration to it, this casting of lots. And the Hebrew people also felt this way. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, we read, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. We see here that at least in this situation that God had a hand in the casting of the lots. Jonah was divinely selected in this heavenly lottery. And it speaks to God's sovereignty and his omniscience. God's sovereignty means that he can orchestrate whatever situation in our lives according to his will. And his omniscience is that he knows all. There was no accident that Jonah was discovered in the lot. This wasn't coincidental. Jonah was picked out because he sought to hide his sin from God. My granny used to tell me that what's done in the dark is going to come to the light. There ain't no hiding sin from God. And we know this from a story in the Old Testament that's before Jonah's time. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. You see, David had this great conspiracy that he tried to cover up. He was a king of Egypt, or not king of Egypt, he was a king of Israel at the time, and he sought to take a little bit more than what was allocated to him in the form of women. And so David saw Bathsheba, who was Uriah the Hittite's wife, bathing on the roof, and David wasn't content, so he said, you know what, I want her. And so David took her, and she became pregnant. And so David tried to orchestrate this big scheme to cover up his sin. He got Uriah back from the, battle, uh, from the battlefield, and he said, hey, go home and hang out with your wife for a little while, and this and that. And Uriah was too righteous for that. And so David ultimately had him murdered. He conspired to have this innocent, righteous man murdered to cover up his sin. And so David thought that he had kind of, done well, right? He had Uriah murdered and no one knew about it until Nathan shows up at his door. And Nathan let him know in no uncertain terms that his sin had found him out. Psalm 90 verses 7 through 8, which is not in your notes, but I have a slide here on the projector behind me, says, for we are brought to an end by your anger. And your wrath, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our inequities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Jonah sought to hide his sin, but his world was closing in on him, and he found out quickly that there is no such thing as secret sin, friends. And so the sailors begin to go through this inquisition once they figured out that Jonah was responsible. And they said, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us and what is your occupation and where do you come from and what is your country and what people are you from? In short, who are you and what did you do to make this God so mad? And we see here the first glimpse of Jonah turning into the right direction he admits to them who he was and what he'd done. He said he's a Hebrew 
He's also a prophet of God. Jonah's identity was determined by his calling, which also required accountability. Jonah's identity was determined by his calling, which also required accountability. His identity was a man called by God, set apart to be a messenger for the lost. His calling was to be a prophet who was sent on mission to warn the wicked of their impending judgment from God. This required accountability. And so since God owned Jonah, made Jonah, called Jonah, Jonah was accountable to God and not just any God. If we recall earlier, the sailors were all crying out to their gods. But Jonah says here that his God is the God of heaven who made the land and the dry sea. He is the chief God. There are no gods over this God. This is the God. It all starts with identity. I'll give you an illustration and see if I can make this point a little clearer. Um, let's say, for example, two boys are getting off the bus. We'll call their names Christopher and Cade. And Christopher and Cade were on the school bus acting all kinds of crazy, roughhousing and whatnot. And then the bus driver pulls up to the bus stop. The boys get off. The bus driver has a word with both moms. Okay? Bus driver lets them know, hey, these kids have been acting up, roughhousing. If they don't get their act together, they ain't going to ride the bus. You're going to have to take them to school, pick them up, whatever. I don't care. But if you don't deal with these children, they're not going to be able to ride the bus. Okay? So Christopher's mom took him home, put a whooping to his backside, punished him, took his bike away, threw it in the ditch, whatever. But Cade's mama said nothing. Cade's mama just let life go on, no big deal. So Christopher's at home all sad and, and, you know, defeated. And he's looking out the window and he sees Cade riding around in a cul-de-sac with ice cream in his hand and having a good old life. And he looks back at his mom. He's like, why does Cade get to go outside and play and have ice cream and do all this and that? What does his mama say to him? I ain't his mama. You are mine. Identity determines accountability. Friends, God owned Jonah. Jonah was accountable to God. He could not escape that accountability. We, friends, are all created by God, every single one of us, for his purpose and his glory. Read with me in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave, or I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are my precious. You are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, verse 7. 
everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This text tells us that not only are we accountable to God, but we are here to bring him glory. Timothy Keller wrote a really good book on Jonah that helps me understand um, some of these insights, and it's called The Prodigal Prophet. And he tries to sum up the inquisition from the sailors in two questions. Who are you and whose are you? And he writes in his book on this particular section of Jonah, to ask who are you is to ask whose are you? To know who you are is to know what you have given yourself to, what controls you, what you most fundamentally trust. Friends, our identity requires accountability. Therefore, when there is sin against God, God will not let it go unaddressed. So I ask you today, who are you and whose are you? The further we get in our understanding and appreciation that we're made in God's image and we're accountable to God, then the further sin gets in our lives. Christmas is, for us, a time of great celebration. But would you think or even consider, would it amaze you that Christmas is also statistically the most violent time of year? All types of violence increases. Domestic violence, assault homicides, and road rage. Now, why in the world would all of these crimes and agitations go up around this time of year? What does this tell us about how people identify themselves and the Christmas season? And so as you go about this Christmas season, shopping like I was doing yesterday with my kids, exploring, sightseeing, whatever you do, remember these Two questions, Christian. Who are you? And whose are you? As we continue with the story in verse 10, I'd like to pick it up. It says here, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from God's presence or from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Both the sailors and Jonah understood why God was angry now. Both the sailors and Jonah understood that something needed to be done to appease God's wrath. Understand also the context in which this conversation is taking place. They're having this conversation. They're trying to get to the bottom of it. All the while, the seas grow more and more temptuous. There's a cost that must be paid. And Jonah understood the cost to be his life. We can't take back sin, friends. There's no undoing what's been done. Once it's done, it is done, and now there is a price that must be paid. There's no going back on this. It must be dealt with. In Greek mythology, there's this 
figure named Pandora. And she was given a box by the gods and they told her not to open it. However, her curiosity got the best of her and she did not heed to their warnings. And she opened this box, releasing all the evils of the world. Friends, we know that there is no Pandora. There is no Pandora's box. But once sin has entered the world, there ain't no putting it back in the box. Once we've done something, once we've said something, there is no taking it back. It's got to be dealt with. And Jonah's sin of rebellion violated God's law. Last week, Pastor Ryan preached through his series. And what I remember that kind of shook me a little bit was we must purge the evil from among you. I don't know about you, but I felt like leaving, right? Because I knew that I was not a perfect man and that there was evil that I had committed, friends. If you knew half of it, y'all wouldn't let me be up here. But if not for the grace and mercy of God, Jonah had disobeyed God and God didn't take that lightly. Deuteronomy Chapter 18, verse 19 reads, And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. I wish we could put that on the little table back there where the Christmas cards are. Let's see how, how well that would go. Maybe not, I don't know. Jonah had failed in his prophetic obligation. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 8 and 9 read, For I, or if I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his inequity. But guess what? His blood I will require at your hand. But if you will warn the wicked to turn away from his way, and he does not turn from his sin. That person shall die in his own inequity. But you have delivered your soul. A life had to be given for Jonah's atrocious sin. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, and this is not in your notes, but it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jonah acknowledged that he had erred and he confessed. Friends, we too should follow in Jonah's example. There ain't a one of us in this room, even though you may look like you ain't sinned all day. There ain't a one of us in this room that is sin free, right? If we were to write down just your individual sins and number them, Friends, we would not have time. It's impossible. We've erred from God. But if we go to him and confess our sin, friend, we can be forgiven and liberated. And liberated, friends, from the shame and the guilt. And so I would challenge you today to follow Jonah's example. Do you have sin that you think is secret somewhere that you're trying to hide? Is there something that you're struggling with that you seek to keep to yourself? Do you and your neighbor have a secret vendetta to where y'all don't look at each other whenever y'all go in your houses? I don't know whatever the silly thing is. Friends, it's not worth it. It's not worth you staying from God. It's not worth you being away from your brother. Go to God. Go to a brother. Go to a sister. Confess to them. Forgive me, brother and sister, for I've erred against you. 
Friends, do not try to hide your sin because like fire in your bosom, it will burn. There is no way that we can hide from it. So Jonah confessed his sin. And we see in verse 13 that the story continues. Nevertheless, the men still rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. They tried to show mercy to Jonah, and they didn't want to throw him in the sea. They tried to get back to land by rowing as hard as they could. The commentators tell us that they weren't far from land. They could see the land. They're thinking, well, maybe we can avoid this man having to die. Let's just try our hardest to get back to land. They sincerely tried to fix this. And then we say they gave a sincere, reverent prayer when they knew that they could not. They said, oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. God had pronounced judgment on Jonah. And there was no way that they could intervene in that process. God's judgment is divine. It is complete. You can't alter his judgment. Think about Peter for a second as he tried to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem. And what did Peter, or what happened to Peter? He was rebuked by God. The Lord even told him, get behind me, Satan. Friends, you cannot stop the inevitable. It's no way that we could ever try to deviate or interfere with God's righteous judgment. And it pleased God to do so. Once the sailors finally accepted that a life must be given for the evil which was committed, they also committed to their actions. And they threw Jonah in the sea. As a matter of fact, they didn't just throw him in the sea. They hurled him into the sea. The same word that we see, the storm was hurled at the ship. The sailors hurled the cargo off the ship. Jonah was also hurled into the sea. And immediately, right away, that very second, the sea ceased from its raging. Friends, that is to symbolize to us that God's wrath had been appeased. Because what was required for the sin was death. What was required... For his error, his rebellion was nothing less than a life. We got to get this, Brother Richard. There was no other way that they could work their way out of this, friends. The only way to atone for the sin was death. There's no avoiding it. I remember when my oldest daughter was an itty-bitty little baby. And I may have told this story, but it's okay. And, um, you know, I wanted to be a helpful daddy. And so whenever she would cry, I would take the little baby and I'd just hold her and rock her and all this stuff, right? I couldn't do nothing to get this baby to be quiet. 
when her mother would hear, because if she heard her, she couldn't stop, you know, like affect her. She couldn't just ignore that, you know. And so I'd walk down the hall with the baby and try to get the baby to calm down and run and all this stuff. I even put the baby in this, um, what's that thing called? The, um, the, high, the car seat. And I would like swing it back and forth. I know this sounds a little dangerous, but it was fun to them. And I would swing it around. It's like a ride. It didn't stop her from crying, friends. There was only one thing that she wanted, her mama. And as soon as I gave her to her mama, she started eating. Immediately, friends, the storms in my life were over. And y'all don't know, like, how scary it can be. It's scary, man. I, I would have been Jonah on that ship, that child screaming and crying, and I can't do nothing about it. That is scary. That's frightening. Friends, there's only one way to satisfy God's wrath once and for all. And that's through the death of his son. We are all made in the image of God. Every last one of us, all people, as a matter of fact, even that neighbor that you don't like because he keeps running over your grass on his side of the driveway, we've all been made in the image of God. And friends, we've also all failed to meet his standard, which is perfection. Even if you ain't sinned today, friend, you still sinned yesterday. And if you ain't sinned yesterday, you still sinned two years ago, I guess. But friends, there is accountability that must be required because we're made in his image. We've all failed and we have a debt that we owe. And friends, there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Our sin to a perfectly just and righteous God is so horrible that God requires a sacrifice. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 read, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned, friends, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, Merry Christmas, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation for our sins by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Friends, this is the reason for the season. It ain't Santa Claus. It ain't stars on your tree. It ain't presents underneath the tree. It ain't BOGO deals at Forever 21, whatever. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He is the gift of God to us. Let us not, Christians, get it twisted. We have to stake this claim. This is our job to proclaim because the world's got it wrong. Friends, we have the opportunity to do as Jonah was called to do. Go and tell the world the true meaning of God. The forgiveness of the world has given to us in a gift, and it is the Son. 
And if you've not given your life to the one who gave his life for you, friend, then you are still missing the point. We have um, these little cards right here. Debbie and Teresa put them in rubber bands for us, nice and convenient, made it all easy. These little cards, I think there's like five each, are given to you, made by Pastor Brian. He worked these up in his laboratory. He worked real hard on these, designed them all neat and clean, friends. Not so that they can sit out on that table and look pretty, because guess what we're going to do December 26th? Well, not December 26th, because they've got New Year's information. No, they don't. Just Christmas, right, Brian? We're going to throw these away, friends. We can't use them no more. Christmas don't fall. Well, it does fall on the 25th next year. But it's not going to be our service on Christmas Eve. We need you to get these cards, friends. Get the message out. My seven-year-old son takes a stack to school. My daughter takes a stack to her friends. Can I not do the same? I was at the 7-Eleven on Bridge, not Bridge, Carrollton Boulevard, which is the same, but whatever. And I gave a guy a card. I said, hey, well, I didn't give him the card. I said, hey, man, you got a church that you're going to for Christmas? And he said, well, I do, but thank you for asking. And then we just struck up a conversation, and it went all over the place. I was ready to go, but I couldn't leave because the brother wanted to keep talking. Friends, I encouraged him just by inviting him to my church. He already had a church he was going to. So what if we inspired other Christians that are out there trying to do the same thing, the right thing, by just inviting folks to church? Friends, we're not asking a lot of you, but only if he's given his life for you, only if you have a reason to celebrate then grab a stack of cards. If not, that's cool, right? Then let them sit on the table. And December 26th comes around, we'll do what we always do. We'll throw them away. Make us run out of cards. Church, there's, I don't know, how many in here right now? Um, Tom and Jerry. But we can run out of those cards. 200 and something, 256. I think there may be like... 150 sets of cards, let's run out of cards. How about that? Get those cards out into your community. Invite your neighbors, friends. Invite folks at the gas station, at Starbucks. It doesn't matter. They need to know that this is the reason for the season. Encourage them to come to church. Everyone's searching for something, friends, and they're not going to find it at Best Buy. There's only so many 75-inch screen TVs we can get, Tom. Jesus is the reason for the season, friends, and we have an obligation and an opportunity and a privilege, I would say, to use these cards. As we wrap up this sermon in verse 16, the text continues, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. I wish I could ask you to underline exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They were blown away by the power of God. They were blown away by the justice of God. And when the sea ceased its storming, they were blown away by the mercy of God. There's another story in the New Testament that kind of mirrors this a little bit. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, talked just about a storm that Jesus and his disciples were caught up in as they tried to row across the Sea of Galilee. Verse 23 says, And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the water and the waves. But Jesus was asleep. 
And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. We see here some similarities between Jonah's story and the disciples. There were both boats in these stories. There were many men on the boats. There was a great storm. The storm had kind of overtaken the boats. Jesus was asleep. So was Jonah. And then they woke Jesus up just like they woke up Jonah telling him, save us for we are about to die. Just like they woke up Jonah saying something needs to be done. Wake up. In verse 26 of Matthew chapter 8 continues, and he said to them, Jesus did, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obeyed him? Whose God did Jonah worship again? The God of all gods, the God who created the sea, the dry land, the God of heaven, and of earth. Who is this God, says the disciples, or who is this man that even the seas obey him? This is why Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Jonah's story. If you haven't begun to see Jesus in Jonah, friends, then look with a different perspective. Jesus is the ultimate way that we are ceased from not only sin, but from the storms in our life which seek to overtake us. We will not fall victim to them through him. Yes, we will have storms, friends, but we have a God who is able to rebuke the storms in our life. And the more we reflect on the power, the justice, the mercy of God, the greater our adoration and worship should be to God. It tells us in the text that they were exceedingly in awe of God. Exceedingly in awe of God. Friends, Pastor Brian's going to get back up here with his team in a little bit, and they're going to lead us in worship. What they cannot do is lead you in adoration. That is a personal decision that you must make only after reflecting on your sin, on your identity, on the accountability, and on the forgiveness of Christ in your life. That should develop within you an adoration that will cause you to come unglued. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story that illustrates this well. I'll read just verses 41 through 47. Jesus is at a dinner He's getting, he got invited by the Pharisees to come hang out and have a little meal. And then there's this woman who's being real weird, right? This woman was a woman of the streets, the Pharisees referred to her as. And in verse 41, we see Jesus trying to explain to them why she is so moved by Jesus. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. There's a correlation, perhaps, between our love for God and our forgiveness. Do you see that in the text? How much have we been forgiven? How much have you sinned? Right? If you just a little sin, then oh, praise God and keep it moving, be blessed, right? But friends, I can tell you right now, when he starts singing, there I'm, I'm, the only thing that's holding me back is my wife. I feel like running up and down these pews. Friends, I was that woman. You were that woman. Friends, we have much, much sin to be forgiven of. And if you're not aware of that, then let the Spirit of God search your hearts and convict you. Our praise should blow the roof off this building. And it may not be verbally. I know Pastor Brian loves for us to sing loud because it, it encourages him. Friends, you're, you're, the way that you express worship may be in how you give, how you serve. I don't know, but there should be a correlation, a direct connection between how much you have been forgiven and the understanding of that and what it looks like in how we live our lives. You can't be forgiven of God and not go out and tell people. You can't keep it to yourself. Jeremiah said he had a fire inside of him that he could not keep. It was burning until he got it out. And he told the world, friends, is there a fire burning in you right now? I hope that there is. And if there is not, ask the Lord to work. And oh, he will. He will show up. And he will light your world on fire. He will flip your world upside down and he will put you on a path on his mission to let the world know that he is real and that he is here. And so we get the opportunity here to worship. I would encourage you to do so. Count it as a privilege, friends, to sing with the church congregationally as we worship together here shortly. In closing, as we look at this idea of lots that were cast, I'm reminded of the lots that were cast when our Savior was on the cross with his arms stretched wide. They sought to humiliate him. They cast lots to see who would get his scarf and who would get his robe and who. God, the same God who cast lots to determine Jonah's conviction, was the same God who cast lots and chose Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 35 says, and they crucified him and they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And while he's on the cross looking down at them, fight over his garments, he said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They're fighting over the crumbs, but the savior is here. Friends, I would ask you today, have you accepted that truth, that Jesus was humiliated for you, that the storms of your sin and the divine judgment owed to each and every one of us without exception was satisfied by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But friends, it is a gift that has been paid for, but you have to accept it. None of us can make you do it. 
Jesus has paid the price. And by faith, you can be forgiven. If you've not placed your trust in Jesus, then let me give you an opportunity to do so, friends. This is the reason for the season. We spend a lot of time decorating and looking good and shaving and whatnot, and, you know, that's all good and well. But, friends, there's going to be a day where our bodies will drop into a box, and our souls will give account for our lives. And if you have not placed your trust in Jesus, do so now. I'm going to pray And I ask that you would let the spirit of God move in your heart. If you have received Christ, then friends, we got work to do. This ain't a big ask. This is a little ask. Maybe take the next step and say, man, do you know why we celebrate Christmas? Teach your children, right? Call your mama and cousins and let them know. Merry Christmas. But do you know what the Christ of Christmas is? Here, let us pray. Father God, I thank you that we have a reason to celebrate this morning that we have been held accountable, Father God, that we have been shown our sin. And Lord, as we sit here and we try to deal with this, may we not grow in shame. May we remember that there is now no condemnation, Father God, to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, if we've sinned against you, we ask that you would forgive us. Lord, we recognize that we cannot pay that price, and it is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we trust by faith that truth. And we come to you now, Father, saying thank you for forgiving us. I pray that we will be mobilized, Father God, to get into our community to annoy our neighbors even, Father God, but to let them know that God loves them. And there is a church here in North Suffolk that loves them. So, Father God, as we've gone out, may we continue to be sent for your name in Jesus. Amen. Please join us in worship.